This is a Mad Dog Special. With Mr. College Football, Tony Barnhart. Thrilled today to have Mr. College Football, Tony Barnhart. How are you doing, Tony? David, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Man, thanks for carving out the time for us. Um, you know, that's, it's kind of surreal for me to, to be talking to you, remembering, you know, after graduating from Georgia, you, you coming on TV, and, and that was back in the times where you couldn't hit pause and you couldn't record, and I would literally have to tell everyone in the room to shut up because our man, Mr. Tony Barnhart, was on. Well, that tells you the power of television. You know, I, I, I had been in the business for a long, long time before I ever got into television. Now it was all of a sudden, well, I know you, and so, so people – they know who you are when you're on television. So it's an incredibly powerful medium. And uh, I was fortunate, uh, have been fortunate to work in it for a long time. Well, you, uh, you certainly have, and, and you're a legend in my book and just, you know, following your career at ESPN and CBS and SEC network, it's, it's just been really um, amazing to watch. And now you're the author of six books and we're going to talk about the latest one today but before we get started i have to ask just so everyone knows how did you get the nickname mr college football and and uh, i get this everywhere i go and i appreciate it and uh, here's the deal i have absolutely i can take absolutely no credit it wasn't i wasn't involved at all this goes back to the time that the ajc was building their website their sports website and and putting a lot of content over there and so the guy who was an editor who was putting it together came to me and says, Hey, Tony, we, we need you to help us out here. We want you to do a blog. I said, man, that's great. What's a blog. <laughs> and he explained to me what a blog was. I said, well, let me, let me see if I can get this straight. You want me to go online and write something that's going to get people arguing amongst themselves. He said, that's <laughs> it. That's it. Exactly. So I can, I can do that. He said, but we're going to give it a title. I went, really? He said, yeah, we're going to call it Mr. College Football. And I said, Scott Peacock was his name. I said, Scott, that sounds really cheesy to me. And he said, yeah, but you know what? Cheesy works on the Internet. So that's what we're going to do. And so they gave me the name on the blog, and it stuck. And when I left the AJC, uh, my daughter, who's an attorney, I said, uh, can I take this name with me? And she said, has anybody else, to your knowledge, ever been Mr. College Football? I said, nope. I said, okay then you're it. So uh, AJC never asked for it back and I ain't giving it back. So, Well, I definitely wouldn't use the word cheesy. I think I'd use the word weighty and then I'd follow that by nominating it for possibly the greatest nickname ever. <laughs> well, it's, ama- it's amazing how it has stuck and I, uh, and I know it's said uh, as a compliment and I appreciate it. Although some people say, Mr. College Football, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> and I get I get some of that too, so that, that's cool. That's part of the game. Well, like I said, that's one of the coolest nicknames ever. Um, and you've done so much in sports and in college football. And one of the things you've done, as you were the author of six books, and I'd love to ask you about your latest book, The Nineteen of Green. Well, The Nineteen of Green, shame, shameless plug, right there. Nineteen <laughs> of Green. Uh, first question that gets where? Tell me about the title. The title comes from the fact that uh, in the in the fall of 1970, the courts ruled uh, in Greene County, Georgia, not far from Athens, uh, 
halfway between Atlanta and Augusta on I-75. Greensboro, Georgia had Green County, Georgia had two high schools, a white high school, Green County High School, and a black high school, Floyd T. Carey High. And in the fall of 1970, you know, and this is all in the book, the, the, the racial relations and, and integration and the South really drug their feet on the integration issue. And so the courts ruled in 1970, fall of 1970, academic year, those two schools in Greene County would merge to form one school. Uh, and that would be it. And so that happened. And those of us who are on the football team at both schools, we're excited because, man, we're, hey, we're going to merge these two schools. We're going to have 60 guys on the team. It's going to be great. Well, we had spring practice in the spring of 1970, getting it ready for the fall. And when spring practice was over, we had 19 guys. So it was the 19 guys, 19 players from Green County. So it's the 19 of Green. And that's where the story starts. Well, and you were able to forge these uh, lifelong relationships that wouldn't have happened had that integration, you know, been forced. I mean, how fortunate does that make you feel to have friends like, you know, Charles Turner? All right. Well, and that's what I tell people. The book is really not about football. Football was a conduit to building all these incredible relationships. And as a matter of fact, on December 9, we had a, we had a team celebration and book signing at Green County High School, where it all, where it all started. And on a Saturday morning at 11 o'clock, uh, 75, 80 people turned out. Uh, there of the original 19 players, uh, 15 are still alive and nine of those guys were able to make it. We had a huge, every, every guy, we lined up a long table and every guy got to sign books because every guy's got a chapter in there. And so, yeah, it's, it, it's not about football. It's about the fact that 53 years after we played our last game together, we could draw a crowd of support at Green County High School uh, on a cold December morning. That's a great concept, the fact that each guy has a chapter. So, I mean, you've put a lot of hours into this. I mean, just for each individual person. Oh, yeah. Well, I, uh, I uh, of the 16 guys that were still alive when I started the process, I interviewed all, all of them. And 12, I interviewed in person. I went to them and sat down with them at their home uh, in a place. And, that, and just to, I mean, how many people get a chance to relive that part of their lives? I mean, a lot of us, uh, you know, we have friends from high school. We stay in touch with a few, but not at all. But the fact that we could all gather together 53 years after we played our last game was just, it was just a neat experience. My point is, is that it transcends football. Football was just a conduit. Uh, for all these other relationships that came out of it. I have to ask you uh, about a, a quote that stuck out that uh, you were, you were talking about your playing prowess on the football field and your size and stature. Now, what was it you said? Oh, I said, I was, I was as a football. So well, how good, how good a player were you telling me? I said, listen, I was small, but I compensated by being exceedingly slow. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God! I was I, listen. I played four different positions. I was number fifty. I gave a speech the other night, and we, we had a big PowerPoint up there. And well, Tony, where are you? And I pointed down to the bottom right-hand corner was number fifty. And 
I told I told Bill Curry, uh, who wrote the forward for the book, I said, so I, I, Coach, I took number fifty because of you. He said, I don't believe that for a minute. So, but uh, yeah, I was I was a very average player, but I loved the game. I loved learning about the game, and and that would that would serve me well later on when I decided to become a sports writer. So, and I know this wasn't a, about the, um, the the game as much as the relationships and the time, but uh, what was your record? Oh, that year we we, we lost our first two games. Uh, now, you got to understand, uh, David, that there were people in that county, both white and black, who did not want us to succeed. You mm-hmm. know, they they hoped they wanted the the the, the grand experiment of integration to fail. Because uh, they were not happy with it, but we started zero and two, and said, "Oh, this is looking shaky." But then we won seven out of our last eight uh, to finish and make uh, the regional championship game. Uh, we, we won our division, so lost in that game to Gainesville High School up in Gainesville, Georgia, state powerhouse then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, we ended up being, I think, seven and four, something like that, eight and four. Very respectable, great winning season. Is there a chapter in your book about your coach? There is. There's there's a chapter uh, about all the coaches. C.S. Vesey uh, was our coach. He's he's the guy who had who had gone into the Navy as a young man, came back to Greene County, ultimately became before Greene County High School was Greene County High School. It was Greensboro High School, and he in 1962 he became the head coach there and was there until um, uh, he he. After our senior season, the, the season that we're talking about, the uh, fall of 1970, he went to uh, Stevens County and, and then went to Wilkinson County and finished up his career there and came back to Greene County and served as a city manager. He was uh, he was special. He was a special guy. Well, he would have to be because, I mean, you think about of, of, of the difficulties of integration, and he's the one who's having to hear an earful from people who were not for it. Right. So I mean, he's 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 got a tough job. Well, he, there's never any question that he backed us up. But one one thing he did do is he had a meeting with us before we started started practice for for the fall, and he just said, "Well, first of all, he met with the white players before the black players. The black players were about two miles away, and they were bussed over from Floyd T. Carey. And he brought us all the white players together. He said, "Understand this." We will have no discipline problems. Do I make myself clear? No discipline problems. And the whole time we were all together, the months and all that, we had about a 30-second skirmish between a white player and a black player. And before practice was over, they were hugging each other. So, you know, that that's that's the way it was, and that's the way we built those uh, built those relationships. And normally when you've got a team, you know, they play together ninth, 10th, 11th grade year. They really know each other. They've had mm-hmm. a chance to gel. You're meeting these other players for the first time. I mean, you're literally getting to know them on a personal level. How long did it take the team to kind of, to kind of gel, um, to come together just, just from a pure playing perspective? Well, and th- this is, this is in the book. We, 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 we did not have enough players to have a conventional spring game. We only had 19 players, didn't have right. enough. So what they did was they went to the guys who were seniors from both schools, and they put together a team of seniors to play us. And uh, it was a – it was a boy, it was a hard-fought game. We lost, 
And we did not handle that well at all. Charles Turner was as mad as long as I've known him, as mad as I've ever seen him because we didn't like the fact. I think losing the spring game to the seniors made that team bond, said, okay, all right, this this is not going to stand. And uh, so, yeah, we, we, we gelled and bonded a lot faster than a normal team would. And I think it was because we lost that game to the seniors. Which in retrospect was probably the perfect – team for you to play, you know, because they're, they're older, they're more developed. Yep. Probably a very tough team to play, and it's always good to play somebody better than you. Right. And then I think that had, had a lot to do with it. Now, when we came back and started 0-2, we were saying, okay, we got we a problem. But we but that at that point, one of my teammates said, you know, we, we knew we could fall apart, but we knew that our coaches were not going to let that happen. And we knew the seniors – uh, of the 19 guys, there were nine seniors. And all of us, you know, were determined that we were going to make this thing work. And uh, that that group of seniors has stayed uh, really close. So with a football team, usually the de facto leader is the quarterback. And in this case, that was uh, Charles Turner. Tell us about him. Charles Turner was, uh, was the product of, of a – middle-class household. His father was in the uh, flooring business. His mother was an educator for 43 years. He and his sister were taught about hard work and discipline. And Charles was, Charles was the leader every place he's ever been. Charles is now in four different halls of fame. The most, the last one, which Green County High School created a circle of honor two mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, Green County Tigers Circle of Honor, and then Charles was in the inaugural class of five. So he's in five different five different Hall of Fames. Uh, became a teacher, uh, became a teacher coach, uh, then became an athletic administrator, AD at Cedar Shows High School. So he's in he's in every Hall of Fame he is eligible for. He is in tremendous tremendous leader, uh, and uh, and we we. We stay in touch a lot. Wow, he sounds like he was special. Well, the the story that's in the story that I like to go to is I asked Tommy Moon, who was our center, and I was asking these guys a question. So I said, Tommy, when did you know that Charles Turner was going to be our quarterback? And Tommy said, when he got off the bus. <laughs> there was no doubt about this guy. And Dean Chanel, who'd been our quarterback the year before. When he was an all-white, Dean said, nope. He said, I'm playing fullback because that's our quarterback right there. Charles was an incredible – he was an incredible leader in, in the football sense, but also with the with the students who came over from Floyd T. Carey who was sort of feeling their way along and how they were going to get along and all that. Charles they, – they looked to Charles to show leadership for the entire school, and he did that. And a lot of times the quarterbacks, the alpha male types, they just have that demeanor. You know, they have mm-hmm. – you can just tell that they're a leader. And like you said, your center knew that just from the second he walked off the bus. Right. And so the, the, he could he could f- flat play, great athlete. And, and it would have been real easy for the p- other players on that team, the white players on that team, let's just be honest, it would have been real easy to dislike Charles. But you couldn't dislike Charles because he was – he was a leader, and he he meant what he was talking about, and he wasn't he wasn't a selfish football player at all. And so, uh, yeah, Charles had a Charles had a great deal to do with our success in 1970. Is there any other 
a particular player that you'd like to talk about? Well, we had some really good skilled players on that team. Al Kaysen, uh, uh who was uh, from the Green County High School, white player, is as good an athlete as I've ever seen. He 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 played football. He was a star on the basketball team. He ran track, and uh, and when we were really good going down the stretch, we were feeding Al Kaysen time after time. We had a bunch of really good backs: Al Kaysen, Tony Whitaker, Ben Allen Gresham, Freddie Walker was a track star. Uh, who and we could beat defenses uh, deep with him, and just a lot of a lot of really really good players. So I've got a random lighthearted question: What did your face mask look like? Well, that's a great. It, it wasn't a double face. It, it, it was your basic face mask, but it were, it were two things, and it had a little thing in in the middle. But it wasn't one of those big cagey looking. It was, it was more conventional head headwear. So it wasn't like a Joe Theismann single bar. It was a single bar with one in the middle. Yeah, single. It was it was it was two two bars coming out, top and a bottom, and something to hold to hold it in place there. So, gotcha. What about your kicker? Was he special in any way? I'm sure he was a straight ahead kicker. Eric Ashley was a left starting left tackle who was also the kicker. <laughs> and uh, he weighed, you know, he might, he might've got to 210 pounds, but we, we only had one guy really big guy, James Scott, who was well over 220, something like that. But Eric Ashley was a, was a, a good kicker, but we didn't, we didn't kick many field goals that year. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so what was your playing uh, listed in the roster playing size, height and weight? Uh, five, 10, like 165, 170 at the most. Playing line. Oh, play. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Play, playing. I played some center, some guard, uh, played some tight end, played some defensive back. So, yeah, it was, uh, like I said, I played a lot of positions and none of them particularly well. So. <laughs> I mean, that had to be incredibly difficult. It's incredibly difficult for anyone to play line, anybody to be in the trenches. That's one of the hardest jobs. And that's where the game is won and lost, as you know. But at that size, I mean, there had to be some rough games. Well, we we, we ran a lot of trap plays where I could go down the line and trap the guy. And so that, but yeah, we didn't, we didn't win too many battles. We know what, but the players we played against were not that big either. You know, you didn't, that was that was before you got to all these 260, 270 pound guys. So right. there was a lot of a lot of guys on our, our roster who did who were just really, really small. But we managed we managed to make it work. So tell us where we can easily find this book. Easiest way to, I, I tell this to everybody. Easiest way to get the book is go to Amazon. Yep. Do it, just do a search on the 19 of green and it pops you right up there, gives you a link to buy it. And uh, we hope to have some more book signings down the road. But for now, that's that is the quickest way to get the book. Well, speaking of that, uh, what do we got to do to get you down here in Macon? I, I used to come to Macon pretty often back in back in the day when Bobby Pope was running the Macon Touchdown Club. Good dear friend of mine, I miss mm-hmm. him. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I'd, I'd certainly welcome. I've got a lot of good friends uh, uh, in Macon. Coach Joe McDaniel. I don't know if you remember Coach McDaniel, but Coach, he was one of Absolutely. my coaches who lives in uh, lives in Macon, and uh, he he came out to a number of our events. So I'm 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 big on Macon. Well, I I get I go back every year. I was inducted into the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame two years ago, 
And Congratulations. So I, I, go, I go back every year uh, for the, they have the dinner in the, uh, in the auditorium downtown, neat place. But I go back, uh, I go back for the hall of fame dinner uh, every February. And then that's coming up in a few weeks. Well, Hey, what do I got to do to be able to attend? I think my, my brother is in the Georgia Hall of Fame, actually, for uh, playing at Georgia Southern. You can buy you, you can buy tickets just like everybody else. Just get this, just give them a call. And uh, and, and it's really neat because all of the – not all of the former Hall of Famers, but a lot of the Hall of Famers are there, and they sort of precede us out and introduce us, and it's really, it's really, really cool. Uh, yeah, the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame has been very, very good to me. They're good folks. Yes, they are. I may be giving my brother too much credit. He may be only be in the making Hall of Fame. I'm going to have to check that with him. And uh, also, just in case you didn't know, Joe McDaniel has become quite the pickleball champion around well, here. I'm, oh, no, I'm totally aware of that. I saw Coach. I said, boy, just, you just pick up all that hardware. And uh, I said, I'm going to have to come to Macon and let you teach. I was, I was a pretty good tennis player. I was on the tennis team in high school. And he said, well, you can pick up pickleball in a hurry. So <laughs> Now, I know <clears throat> in your free time, you like to play a little golf. Don't you have a golf tournament that you host? We do. Uh, several years ago, actually seven years ago, um, the Honduras Outreach International is a group that services uh, the, the poor people of Honduras, and they, they support two schools about three hours from Honduras, from Tegucigalpa, which is the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, which is the uh, capital. And uh, I went over there uh, seven years ago as they were honoring Coach Vince Dooley with the dedication of a soccer field in front with these schools. I said, they said, can you come? And so I said, for Coach Dooley, I will absolutely be there. So my wife and I went over to Honduras. When we got back from that great life-changing experience, they said, listen, we've had a charity golf tournament for nine or ten years. Would you mind if we put your name on the charity golf tournament. So the Tony Barnhart HOI Classic was born about seven years ago. This will be, this will be our seventh year uh, of doing it. My wife and I, uh, we're sort of in charge of uh, gathering celebrities and things like that. But we have we have our uh, seventh annual Vince Dooley HOI Tony Barnhart Classic uh, on April 27th at St. Ives Country Club just outside of Atlanta. So is that open for people to sign up or? Absolutely. You can go to HOI. I'm sure they'll be posting the information soon. You can go to HOI.org and they should have a link there for you to sign up uh, if you want to be a part of the uh, tournament. So April 27th, where? April 29th at St. Ives Country Club, just outside of Atlanta. Gotcha. How much is it for a team? I think it's $1,600, but I could be wrong about that. You might, okay. might, might want to check on that because I, okay. I haven't seen the paperwork yet. Gotcha. It'll, be, it'll be in that ballpark, I would think. Well, anybody who knows me knows that I am a horrific golfer, mm-hmm. but I do like to get out there and hack it up, and I'm great at putting together a good team. There you go. That's the key. That's, That's the key. key. Well, we get, a, we get a great celebrity turnout, particularly of the Georgia Letterman have been very, very supportive. Uh, Kevin Butler, Aaron Murray, Matt Stinchcomb, David Green, Frank Ross, all those guys come every year. Last year, because we had just lost Coach Dooley, uh, they were there and we honored Barbara Dooley with uh, 
with a lot of gifts and things of that nature. And uh, we hope to have Barbara back. But, uh, yeah, the Georgia Letterman have done a great job of supporting the HOI uh, Golf Classic. Well, that sounds like a great event, obviously, for a great cause. Now, I'd love to ask you about uh, what has been in the news so much. And for me as a Georgia fan, it has been like Christmas 2.0, and that is – the retirement of Nick Saban. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, it, it was an interesting way that the week developed. Because <clears throat> when the week started, I, I talked to a member of his staff, and he thought that because they didn't win the national championship, he had a young team and would come by, come out, he would come back for one more shot at it. But uh, then as the week came on, I started hearing some other things. And uh, so I'd have to say I was, I was somewhat surprised but not shocked that he uh, retired. I had a coach tell me one time, he said, the key to, key to this whole thing is make sure you leave a year too early than a year too late. Uh, make sure that uh, you go out on your terms and not because somebody asked you to leave. And I, and I personally, I, I haven't talked to Coach Saban personally since, since he retired, but I am thoroughly convinced that he saw what happened to Bill Belichick and he said, Bill Belichick's the greatest coach of all. If it can happen to him, it can happen to me. So I think at the end of the day, and with, it, you know, again, nobody's told me this, but you have to believe the game that he knows it, as he knows it, and as we know it, but all these changes made him lean towards maybe this is the time to get out. Well, he definitely, I, I don't care that, you know, he didn't go out on top, obviously. He's the goat until he's not. And it's going to take a long time for anybody to even think about sniffing that rare air. Of course, I hope that one day Kirby's the guy. The, the, I've, I was really concerned about the ripple effect. You know, DeBoer takes Saban's job once they named him. And then all of a sudden you got a hold of Phil at Washington. Mm -hmm. I, and I, my biggest fear was somebody getting uh, poached off of Georgia's staff which fortunately hasn't happened. And also the interesting ripple effect is, you know, their portal opens for 30 days and they're the only mm -hmm. ones with a portal open and it's, right. open and it's open season on that portal. And so the one that we're all watching, it's Caleb Downs. If you had to pick a landing spot, and if you can't answer this story, just or this question, just obviously tell me. I mean, it's, it's kind of a two horse race between Ohio State and Georgia. Any thoughts? Uh, not really, because to be honest with you, my approach to all this stuff that's going on, I don't, I don't cover it on a day-by-day -day basis. When gotcha. we get to the end of the process, show me your roster, show me who you have, I'll look at it then. But I don't, I don't cover the day-to-day -day exploits of, <laughs> the, of the transfer portal. It just, just when we, when, when it's time to practice, show me your roster, and then we'll start making some decisions. But I, obviously, a player like Caleb Downs is you'd love to have on your team and all, all SEC freshman, incredible player. And, uh, and, but, and I, I will say this, I think it goes to show uh, that, you know, Kirby smart is recruiting 24 hours a day. And when opportunities like come up like this one, he's usually pretty good at taking advantage of it. So we'll, uh, we'll see. Yeah, and I mean, everybody says that Kirby's always playing chess when everybody else is playing checkers, and I think a great example of that was the first thing he did when Saban announced his retirement was 
okay, yeah, players are great, but coaches are better. And he went and got Traveris Robinson. That's a great pickup. Right. I met, I met T. Rob when he was coaching for uh, Muschamp at South Carolina. Was very impressed with him. And so, yeah, I mean, he, 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 he one player, hey, that's great. That's great. But a coach can pay pay dividends over many years if things worked out. So that's that's a very good pickup for, for Kirby. I agree. And you wrote a great article about um, the championship and how the SEC has been so dominant and that, that, that a lot of fans outside the SEC were happy to take a breather from us and see a couple of other teams in there. And then you also made a prediction, an over-under on SEC and Big Ten teams that would make the 12-team playoff, which I think you put at six and a half. Right. Um, which could be too low, but it's a good number. I have a question for you that nobody has been able to answer, and it may be because we don't know yet. Next year, with the SEC consolidating into one division, do we know yet what the tiebreaker rules are? Because there's going to be a log jam. There, trust me when I tell you that that was one of the first things addressed. Long the tie the, the tiebreaker rules is a list about this long. Okay, they have gone. They spent incredible number of days working on the. Yeah, that that was really the first thing that got done. And so now, do we know what they are? No, they they hadn't told us yet. But they, okay. But the, the transfer rule, I mean, the uh, the tiebreaker rules are done, and they go okay. very, very deep. So uh, do you have any idea on when we expect that to be released? My hope is that we will have it released by the time we get to Destin for the spring meetings. Okay. Uh, that's, in, that's, the, uh, that's Memorial Day weekend. We start that following Tuesday. So I'm, hope, I'm hoping that's when that's going to happen. Yeah, the other thing that's got to happen, quite honestly, and may have to happen by then is, for the 2025 season, eight games or nine, that that decision's got to be. That decision has not been made yet, and they got to decide which way to go there because it's 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 a different world if you got a nine game conference schedule. Oh gosh, absolutely it is. It's crazy just what a difference that extra game would make. Right. What do you think? How are things going to change now with you know the Pac-12 disintegrating and them having a seat at the table? for a conference championship winner that practically virtually does not exist today. Well, they, the, the, the PAC 12 won't, I mean, the PAC 12 now is a member of the big 10. They'll play for the big 10 championship. Uh, the two teams, Oregon state and Washington state left over. They've got a, a contractual relationship with the mountain West and that's how they'll put their schedule together, but they're not eligible to win a PAC 12 championship or, or as I like to call it the PAC two, uh, they don't. Uh, they, they don't. That championship will not be available for them. So that means there is uh, uh, still five, uh, four. There are four Power Five conferences instead of five. Right. And so in the past it was a five plus seven model. So now does that become four plus eight? I think it. I think it'll. It'll, it'll be four plus one plus seven. You've got. You've got. You will have to have one of those uh, group of seven group of five conferences will have to have a spot in the playoffs. It may be as the 12th seed, but one of them has to be in the playoffs. And that'll be, you know, where the the committee really comes back into play 
is for those eight teams. Well, this this for example, this year, this year the twelfth spot would have gone to Liberty. And Liberty right. was an undefeated champion of Conference USA. They were they were certainly not ranked number twelve in anything, but they they would have been the highest ranked group of five conference. And so you you have to have a spot for the group of five. Okay, and that's that. And they would they would have they would have gotten in, but they would have been the twelfth seed playing the five seed. Gotcha. Well, it's going to be fun to watch. And that was one reason where I thought, you know, Saban retiring didn't even enter my mind because I just thought that there were, he was really going to look forward to, you know, being in that new format, um, yeah. which obviously he didn't. All right. So a little bit of a lightning rod, and that is the Jim Harbaugh, Michigan situation. In my mind, if you've gotten caught violating rules, uh, and you results in a suspension to start the year. That's one thing, you know, that's recruiting during COVID. The other thing, which was, you know, pre-scouting games, which is a mountain of evidence to the point that you can't even call them allegations because that's an insult to the word allegations. For me, I feel like I know those players. I don't know this, but I would bet that those players had no idea that was going on. Mm -hmm but they still played at a competitive advantage for eight games until it was came to light. That to me, because of those eight games, put an, puts an asterisk on this. And that's just my opinion. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the NCAA will come back and kind of give them at some point, the USC treatment to vacate wins and or that championship? Well, that, that, that to me, that is a good question because that, and now this, but now we're talking about after the investigation has been completed, everything is over. Now you look at it, and now it is it is possible to invoke penalties. But in terms of this thing about the idea of stripping games away and national channel, NCAA has got no credibility on any of that stuff. So the best best they can do in terms of discipline here. Is to sure is to make sure that if 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 Harbaugh was found to have taken any part of it, any penalty any penalties will have to come later. But those, in my opinion, those penalties will never include forfeiting games or vacating wins or vacating championships. NCAA they have they they have no credibility on something like that. So it, it'll be something that Jim Har. Oh, but he, here's the great thing of all, the greatest thing of all. I love it that Jim Harbaugh wants Michigan to draw up his new contract so that no matter what happens in these investigations, they can't get mad at him and fire him. <laughs> I mean, that's classic. I mean, that is classic stuff. They're, they're not going to, well, I say they're not going to do it. I don't, I don't think you can give, if you're the president of the university of Michigan, I don't think you can say, Oh, it doesn't matter how much you cheated. We're not going to punish you for it, <laughs> which is why I'll be stunned if Jim Harbaugh is not in the National Football League next year. And I I agree with you, so let's talk about that. I mean, natural landing spots include the Chargers. I've heard the Raiders. And, of course, he just interviewed with the Falcons. What is your guess as to where he's going? San Diego seems like the right place to me. Uh, he, he, coached, he coached out there at the University of San Diego, had some success, uh, plus it's in San Diego. Uh, so I think I, I, that's kind of where I think he'll he'll land. I don't, Lord, please don't bring him to the Atlanta Falcons. We don't need that. So let's don't <laughs> let's don't do that. Okay. I agree. 
Um, all right, just circle back real quick. The NCAA is basically a toothless, clawless tiger. What purpose do they really serve at this point? Here's what the NCAA needs to do. The, well, first of all, here's what foot, college football needs to do. College football needs to break off, have its own governance structure, own discipline structure it need, with, a, with a commissioner. And college football is a different animal than every other sport. So that's number one. That, of course, removes the NCAA from anything to do with the oversight of college football. Then, that's fine. NCAA runs a nice basketball tournament. They do that. They run championships. So let them do what they were intended to do, which is to run the basketball championship and all the other sports in, in the championships. But, the, they, they again, they have no credibility on the disciplinary uh, wing of uh, college football. So I think I think that's what's – and college football is going to have to break off. But There's no question that that's going to have to happen. Uh, and I think it will as the conferences get as, – as the big boys – as well, let me put it this way. As the SEC and the Big Ten exert their dominance over the sport, it's really going to become necessary to have one uh, organization overseeing the old sport. And you pick somebody like a Greg Sankey. Yeah, Nick Saban. Nick Saban would be a great commissioner. Uh, but th that's something that's going to have to happen, and the NCAA will be out of the f college football. And they they can even run the you know the F the FCS championships and the and the Division two and Division three and all that. But Division one football, FBS football, has to stand alone. So, do you envision uh, the old you know mega conference with Big Ten, SEC, maybe uh, Big Twelve and ACC to? some sort of, I don't know what the number there would be, like about a 64-team conference? I see two major conferences, and that's it. And it'll, uh, how big they'll be is anybody's guess, because quite honestly, when we get to that direction, uh, given the kind of money that's going to be involved not to participate, I think there are going to be some schools that say, you know what, we don't need to be in the football business. We can't afford to be in the football business with Alabama. We can't afford to be in the football business with Georgia and Michigan and Ohio State. They're playing the game at a completely different level. So I think we end up with two, two conferences, two divisions, and they will be split up in the pods. And that's how we will decide uh, the championship. My mind is literally racing with questions to ask you. Um, and this one just popped into my mind. Okay, we're currently with 12 teams for the playoff this year with teams five through eight hosting round one mm -hmm. to me you you're punishing teams one through four by not giving them a home game let if you just say strictly from the economic impact the teams five through eight get at the end of the year they get a shot in the arm of a, ma a huge magnitude financially just to host that game right all right so to me 12 is a weird number if you expand it to 16, you're really only adding – you're not even adding an extra week of games. You're adding another set of games for four teams. Right. Why in the world would they go with 12, and do you see that possibly changing? I see it possibly changing, but changing, but I think they want to get through 12 and see how it works. Because, yeah, you're right, because what you would end up doing is that everybody would play on the first weekend, okay, 
instead of having the four teams with a bye. But they wanted that incentive out there for something to play for. Uh, and obviously the, what you would be playing for is a number one seed. You would get to host games. And so the more you get, you get two rounds uh, at home. So, yeah, that's going to, that is going to come up. Uh, but I, I think the culture shock of 16 teams was something they were not ready for. So we'll, we'll see how it goes, but uh, it, it, it is fair that the, you get a the attitude was, well, yeah, you don't get a home game, but you don't have to play. And that's, that's a big, big deal if you get a week off this time of year. And that would be because you don't play the first round of the playoffs until 13 days after championship Saturday, the four teams that get a bye would basically get 20 days off between games. Yeah, that's a huge advantage when you talk about coaches and their ability to scheme and scout. because well, and, get, and get healed up. Yeah, right. absolutely. And so at, at what point as we go forward – do the bowl games kick in? So the first round, they're not even calling those bowl games. They're just playoff games. Right. Second round, do they start filtering in, you know? Well, no, the way it, the way it's going to work, take the first – there'll be six – the same New Year's Six bowls that are involved now will be involved then. And so then what you do is, uh, obviously, in the first round of five, six, seven, and eight uh, – uh, or, or in a situation where they get they get to play at home, all right? And then after that, you still got four games left. Those four games will be assigned to four different bowls, and then the two winners will be – the four winners will be assigned to the semifinals in two different bowls. Those – if you go to the website, all of this is already set up. We already know who the quarterfinal bowls are going to be and where they're going to, when they're going to be played. All that stuff has already been determined. So the, the answer to your question is that six bowls will be involved with the playoff. All right, four, four for the semi, four for the um, quarterfinals, two for four for the semifinals. Okay, and so uh, af, after after that, then the bowls will play where they're going to play, where they always play. You know, the uh, Citrus Bowl and the the bowl in Tampa; those will play right around New Year's Day where they always play. The question now becomes with all the – think about – I told this to a group in Orlando the other night. Think about this. With a four-team playoff, you have three playoff games, two semifinals and a final, all right? With a 12-team playoff, you have 11 playoff games. And what's going to happen is that the money that's been invested in all these other bowls – they'll come to, to the advertisers and say, hey, look, we can give you a much better return on your investment if you generate this money and put it into the playoff. So I think money was going to go towards the playoff in all those games because you're going to get a better return on the investment, better TV ratings and all that. And so what will happen is that the, the bowls that cannot afford to stay in business will fall by the wayside. Nobody's going to say, well, we, if you can afford to pay for yourself, you can have a bowl game. It's when you can't afford to pay for it that the bowl games will go by the side. And, and that makes sense because you watch some of these early bowls and there's literally no one in the stands. Doesn't matter. It, it, it's t <clears throat> Excuse me. It, it's inexpensive programming for our friends at ESPN. And they, they've got the document. I've seen the documents. People watch those games. They they, they don't want – I say, well, what are you going to do? You're going to watch Law and, Law and Order reruns? <clears throat> I mean, 
they 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 don't do a great number, but you don't have you're not supposed to make money. You just hope to break even with a title sponsor and the advertising dollars. And so, you know, now it's when those bowls can't pay for themselves anymore is that is when they'll fall to the wayside. And you're exactly right because I watch those games and sure. um, until my wife has just had enough of me watching, you know, Ball State versus <laughs> No Dame University makes me change the channel. Um, so, okay. When will, will the, the championship game will actually get moved back a week, right? Two weeks. Two weeks. The national championship game will be on January 20th, 2025. Wow. In Atlanta. In Atlanta. Yep. That, that was determined a long time ago. And so Georgia has a chance to play there four times. Clemson. Yep. That's I think that's what they did 2017, didn't they? Was it four? 2017. Yeah. Oh, uh, yep. Yep. Well, Tony, I could literally ask you questions all day, but I, I think I've overrun uh, my time by a factor of four. Um, I've got to do items that's to get you in making, to check out your golf tournament, and to get a book so that the next time I see you, I could get you to sign it. <laughs> that'd be great that'd be great i look forward to that well is there anything else you'd like to share with us no i i enjoyed it go on a trip down memory lane and i'll just uh ask the folks to to see the the, the 19 of green go to amazon do a search and it'll it'll be there and uh it was a labor of love doing the book and i appreciate you letting me uh, uh promote it oh gosh it was uh it was just absolutely uh dream come true to have you on here to have mr college football yes definitely go get the 19 of green and i'm sure five other books will pop up that tony has also written so don't be afraid to buy those as well there you go i like i like that <laughs> all right tony thanks again for your time all right david take all care. right you too